0: Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 18, our mid-month episode for June 2016. Welcome back, everybody, and a special hello to new listeners as well. I hope your summer kickoff has been good. I hope you've had a chance to relax some here at the start of the season. I know a lot of my pastor friends have been taking late May and early June as a time to go on vacation. And while summer can seem really laid back from the outside in the church, we all know it can be a surprisingly busy time, especially if your church hosts things like Youth Week or summer camp, Vacation Bible School, or goes on summer mission trips. Maybe you're a part of those. Maybe you're a part of planning. Or leading those, maybe teaching at one of those things. It can look like a sleepy time from the outside, but we all know summer uh, is a busy time, especially if you have fall planning in motion. And I also want to give a special shout out to any of you who may be moving this summer. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a United Methodist pastor. And in our denomination, if you're moving churches, this is the time of year for the moves. And so let's keep in our prayers all those who are moving this summer, regardless of denomination. We pray for you as you go through this strange and bittersweet process of both trying to leave well while at the same time being excited about what God has for you in the future. We also want to recognize all of you who may be retiring or leaving day-to-day pastoral ministry this summer or this fall. Thank you so much for your ministry and your service to the church. These times of transition offer unique preaching challenges and opportunities, and I'd love to hear what you think about them. Of course, if you are retiring or moving, you have that final sermon. Now, whether it's the final sermon of your regular preaching career or just your final sermon in a church, and a community that you love and you'll miss, what kind of scriptures do you use? What kind of scriptures would you use? What kind of stories would you tell? What kind of message would you want to leave with the community as you transition out of it? And then, of course, if you're moving to a new congregation or a new community, you'll have that first sermon. And there's tons of advice out there about how to handle a first sermon. I'd love to hear what you think. What have you used? What would you use? Again, scripture, stories, images, messages. What would you want to encapsulate on that first Sunday in a new congregation? And now in the true spirit of summer, I want to talk for just a bit about Advent. That's right. Advent. Way back last November, in our very first episode of the podcast, we talked with Reverend McGray DeVega about preaching Advent. And if you're a new subscriber, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that interview. McGray shared so many great ideas. And one of his super practical tips was that he begins the planning process for the big seasons of Advent and Lent four months ahead of time. This gives both him and his church plenty of time to fully develop both the themes and the ideas, as well as cover all the logistics basis with four months you can not only develop an amazing sermon series but you can create and execute a solid outreach promotion and follow-up plan you can give your music worship and discipleship or small group folks plenty of time to dream big and directly reinforce everything else that will be happening during the season you can truly coordinate across all areas of your church and be really intentional and strategic well four months in advance of advent is august August, September, October, November, and then of course we kick it off there in December. And in order for you to be ready to lead a planning meeting early in August, you need to have an idea of what you want to bring to the table, whether it's a specific theme or resource or book or a handful of options. And from the day this episode releases, August 1st is only about six weeks away. So you don't necessarily need to pause the podcast right now and begin scouring Amazon or Cokesbury or Lifeway right away, but maybe pencil it in on your to-do list and put it in the back of your mind. And of course, course, the first resource I would encourage you to check out is McGray's book, Awaiting the Already, An Advent Journey Through the Gospels, which came out last September. This book could serve as a basis for either a sermon series or a small group study or both. It's broken down into five parts, and it looks at the unique perspective and details that each of the four Gospels contribute to the Christmas story, as well as a look at the book of Titus, which McGray calls Paul's Christmas Letter. And during our conversation about this book back in episode one, McGray shared that he was actually working on another book for advent that book is called songs for the waiting devotions inspired by the hymns of advent that'll release september 13th of this year 2016 it's available for pre-order right now and i'll put links to both books as well as episode one in the show notes if you'd like to check them out well, the summer can be a great time to pick up new hobbies and learn new skills, and so in that spirit, our podcasts for June and July are a little bit different subject-wise from what we've done so far this year. Consider it a sort of summer school. This month, we're focusing on design as well as digital and social media with Brady Shearer of Pro Church Tools. Next month, we'll talk podcasting for pastors and ministries with Jonathan Howe of Lifeway. And there'll be more from Brady later in today's episode, but first, I want to share with you something you can learn and try out this summer. A couple episodes ago, I encouraged you to check out the Art of the Sermon Instagram feed. In addition to the images that I used to promote the show, there was a string of images I created while at the North Carolina Preaching Festival. I was teaching a workshop that included how to make images for social media, and so I wanted to practice what I preach, so to speak, by actually doing what I was going to teach later on at the conference. We've all seen those images on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, even Pinterest with a Bible verse or a compelling quote from a sermon and a really cool font laid out nicely over a hip photo. Studies have shown, and perhaps even your own experience has told you, that images catch attention and create more engagement online than just text. So maybe you've thought to yourself, I would love to make something like that, but I don't have the tools or the skills. And while full featured programs like Photoshop or even free alternatives like GIMP obviously give you the most control and flexibility, you don't need them to make great looking graphics for social media. You also don't need a background in design or a ton of time. Those images from the preaching festival were made in a free app on my phone literally during the sermon. Many of them were posted to Instagram before the sermon was even over. It doesn't have to be hard, expensive, or time consuming. And there's lots of apps and websites out there that will allow you to create graphics like these. They're all a little different with various strengths and weaknesses and they all offer a different level of control. So I'm gonna recommend two, one for beginners and one for those of you who are a little more comfortable with design. And I should say that you can use these apps for more than just quotes or Bible verses. Maybe you want to create an ad for your church or a specific event. or Maybe you want to create a graphic promoting a specific new sermon series that's coming up or really anything else that you might want to share online that uses images and text. You can do it in these apps. Well, the best one for beginners is a website called designfeed.io, designfeed.io. While they don't have a standalone app, it does work well both on a computer or on a mobile device or tablet through your web browser, and at the time of this recording, it's still in a phase called private beta, which means that the developers are still working on it, and you have to request an invitation to use it, but don't let that scare you. I got my invitation within a couple of hours, and I've had no problems using the app. What makes Design Feed great for beginners is that they offer tons of great templates and examples with just enough customization to make it your own without giving you enough control to break it. So the key with Design Feet is to scroll through their templates and examples until you find something you like, something that captures the essence of what you're looking for. You'll be able to change the text, some of the colors, and even change the background image. But you can't change things like the font, or the size of elements, or the general layout. So make sure those parts of the template are details you like. And if you do want to change up the background image, they have access to tons of high quality images or you can upload your own. Design Feed also has this great feature where you can upload a logo to be included in the image, which is nice and not all apps like this offer this feature. Finally, different social networks have different standards for their images and Design Feed has you covered. So for example, you can prep an image for Instagram that's a square and then they will automatically reformat the image for the shapes and sizes that work best on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Tumblr. Now, if you're a little more comfortable with design and you want a little bit more control, I would recommend Adobe Spark. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, they have a standalone app called Adobe Spark Post. There's not an Android app yet, but they are working on one, and you can use this service through the web browser on your desktop or your mobile device. And This is the app that I use to create the images at the preaching festival. While similar to Design Feed, it gives you many more options in tweaking the design. You can choose from a handful of fonts, you have more color options, and you can add an unlimited number of text elements with the ability to resize and move them all around. Like. Design Feed, you can access tons of great images or upload your own. And Adobe Spark can also reformat your images, but more than just images for posts, you can create cover photos for your Facebook page, for example. The one feature they don't have that Design Feed does is that ability to add a logo. If this is really important to you, there are apps out there that you can use to add a watermark or a logo, but this is one feature that I hope Adobe adds soon. Now both Design Feed and Adobe Spark are free to use and free to save your images. And so I would encourage you to play around with them this summer. Practice now and maybe you'll have the hang of it by the fall when you make that really big back to school push. And if you make anything really cool, I would love to see it. So tweet me your images or post them to our Facebook page, all at username Art of the Sermon. The last design-related topic I wanted to touch on before we get to more with Brady Shear is building on something he talked about in the last episode. When I asked what a church starting from scratch design and tech-wise should do first, he said get a high-quality logo. While we didn't dig into it, the reason why is that the logo and the wider concept of branding can be a real asset to your church communications. It provides a visual language that can help tell the story of your community think about it. Things like color and style and imagery communicate to people who you are and what you're about. Especially in the world of digital and social media, having a consistent style across all your online platforms will help people make connections. So Brady has lots of posts on his website related to church branding. And last October, I did a six-part series on my blog about simple church branding. So I'll put links in the show notes to those if you'd like to explore this topic further. Now to close out the show, let's jump back into my interview with Brady year, In these two clips, we discuss the dangers of storytelling, specifically when does storytelling become manipulative, and we talk about the importance of design, aesthetics, and engaging in ministry online. And, and actually, I'm going to sidestep from the list of questions that I sent you because your podcast this morning, it was your episode 102 Lessons for Young Filmmakers with El Ginter. One of the questions that you asked her, I thought, was... Really, really important, and that was where is the line between using story effectively and when does narrative or a narrative presentation of something become manipulative? And I thought that she gave a really great answer, but I was sort of interested in what your thoughts were, especially now. We're recording this on March 1st, which in the United States, you're Canadian. In the United States, we call it Super Tuesday. We're in the middle of an election season. When this plays this summer, it will still be an election season. We, of course, see people using and manipulating narratives to try to make a point and influence voters. Where do you see the line there between because it can't just be, well, we use it faithfully, other people don't, and so we we should be able to manipulate for good causes other people manipulate for bad what's your
1: understanding of where that line is yeah and the reason that i keep asking the, the guests that we have on our podcast that question is because i'm trying to to figure out where i stand on that just two two kind of illustrations to to just explain that Using the presidential election, which is interesting, I just learned what Super Tuesday was today because yeah. I had never learned, but I googled it and I was like, "Well, that's a big deal." Yeah. So in the 2012 election, when it was Romney and Obama, uh, Romney was kind of using this political stance of, you know, America is in crazy amount of debt; we're approaching 20 trillion, and you know, if we don't get this under control, bad things are going to happen. And he had this big action plan to 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 fix the debt. But the problem was, that was the most boring story ever. <laughs> right. And even though that would have probably made a very, very good, you know, main point of emphasis if he was elected president, it didn't rally the American voters was be- because it was dull. Obama, on the other hand, you know, with the yes we can slogan of like, you know what, the, the American dream is real, and I'm going to be your guide along the way, but you're the hero of the story. Mm. And Mitt Romney instead was like, you know, debt, 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 trillions, trillions, trillions. And again, that might have been equally powerful maybe it was more powerful who knows you know alternative alternate universe but it just didn't rally people because the story wasn't there and and so It's interesting. The power of story, like you said, it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. When we look at what happened in Nazi Germany, that was story and propaganda that was rallying people in a very unhealthy, devastating way, horrific way. You see that, you know, glimpses of that. I don't like to compare political candidates, especially from history, but with what Donald Trump is doing, you know, he's using story and and fear-based story really to rally American voters, you know, behind his cause and behind his presidential dreams. And so, I, I struggle with this because I don't have a firm I, I, I don't like it when people are like you know what that's just a, a, a case per case basis right. uh, whenever I ask podcast guests like give me a hard rule I want answers <laughs> and they're like you know what man Like, just go with the flow yeah. and I'm like that's really helpful <laughs> yeah. so I can't give you a hard rule but I'll give you an example from today yesterday we filmed an interview for a story we're telling at Easter this year with a guy named Dan and Dan's a young guy like myself 25 years old ish uh, he's married, he's got two kids, and in this heartbreaking story that he shares with us, I don't even think any of us knew this in the room when we, when we hit record. Um, he talks about how before him and his wife were married, uh, they were living together, sleeping together, they got pregnant, and they decided to have an abortion. And he, he talks about kind of being, felt like he was backed up against the wall and you know, he made a decision because, you know, they were living in this bad area of town and he felt like, you know, we're not ready for this and they had no money and their house was getting broken into and they were dealing pot at the time just to be able to pay for rent. And what I did was I included that little part of the story part of his interview in the actual final five-minute clip, and I was showing my team this morning. Well, one of them reacted pretty strongly to that, mm. and, and he was like, you know what? That kind of seems just like it's pushing a bit of an agenda. Like it sounds, uh, you know, wherever you stand on the pro-life, pro-choice agenda, it's an incredibly complex issue, and what I didn't want to do with this story was I didn't want to push any agenda Even if the church is traditionally on one side of the agenda, because I really believe if, and when I say agenda, I don't want to make that sound like propaganda, whatever side of the issue you're on, it's incredibly complex. And when we make it black or white, either way, it doesn't really help anybody. And so what we did was we took that part out because we didn't want to manipulate the story in any way to push a certain, um, you know, agenda. I'll use that word again in this instance, because, Let's say the uh, pro-life side is the traditional church side. It's very, very well populated within the church. And, you know, we could put that in there, put that little bit in there, and people would be like, yeah, totally, we agree with that. But then you have the totally underrepresented side uh, of the coin that, again, is—I think everyone on this side of the issue just wants less abortions, right? Right, right. And so what we did is we took that part out because we didn't want to manipulate the story in any way. We, wanted pe- what we What you wanted people to do, here's a little bit of an action step. You want people to come to a story and you want to show you don't want to tell. That's what we always like to say. Show, don't tell. This is a huge filmmaking axiom um, in, in Hollywood and really anywhere that's making films. Show, don't tell. So you don't want to shove the conclusions down people's throat. And this is what Christian movies generally do a bad job of because we're afraid of any type of ambiguity, any type of lack of clarity. Like if we don't make it very, very clear the Christian (laughs) message is here, people could get a different message and we could be leading people astray. Well, it's just not the really the way that art works. You want to show, don't tell. So what we did with this story was we just showed the pain that Dan and his wife went through with this abortion. We showed the, the crippling, horrific pain that he's still dealing with years later. And people are going to bring to that whatever they bring to that. But what we can all leave with that is, wow, our choices have consequences, bad or good. And it's important to be very conscious about the choices we're making. And so when it comes to manipulation in story, the best thing I can probably say is show, don't tell. So don't force conclusions, don't force resolutions, and don't force people to to walk away with a certain key point that you're trying to make. Instead, just let the story be the story because when you try to force resolution, you're expecting everyone to have the same takeaway.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: But then you want everyone to just be the same person, and then we're all just robots in a church. Like That's not good. We want to be a diverse body of Christ, you know? And everyone's going to have different takeaways, and so show, don't tell.
0: This may be a little bit controversial to some, because obviously church vitality should be measured on whether or not we're making disciples and whether or not we are sending these disciples out into the world to make a difference for the kingdom of God and not whether we are the quote unquote cool church in town. However, I get the sense from your work and from our conversation today that uh, compelling storytelling, effective design, essentially paying attention to the aesthetics of things can really support the mission and vision of the church especially in today's culture which is very attuned to visual they sort of you know talk about how every church needs a website well now you really need a well designed website my wife jokes that if a church has an at aol.com email address, she's not visiting because that's a sign that they don't know what they're doing.
1: Um, Your wife it, and I sound like we would get along. <laughs>
0: yeah. At least on the on the tech side of things. I think if you go and it's a bad church website, it communicates the same thing that an AOL email address used to communicate on the bulletin. So can you maybe talk about the importance of aesthetics but how it fits into the mission and vision of the church?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting the way that cre- the way that question is is kind of framed, and you said it might be controversial, I mean, I haven't been entirely non-controversial yet, so <laughs> I feel if we need to venture more into that territory, that's fine with me, uh, you know, because I-, I agree with what you said, church vitality should be measured by whether or not we're making disciples, but that kind of question also assumes and, and brings to the table the assumption that the best way to do that is the way that we do church currently, mm. meaning... One hour per week on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night where 20 minutes is spent worshiping, 10 minutes is spent announcing, and 30 minutes is spent preaching. If nothing else, then by the way that we've spent our money and our time for the last 50 years, the Western church says the best way to disciple people is by doing this. And yeah, we have small groups, and yeah, we have different ministries, and and we can connect with, with other men and other women, and we can connect based on age and demographic and location. But the most time and money has been spent on these, these one-hour gatherings on, on Sundays and Saturdays. And I think that that was a really great way and is a great way to do church. The problem that I have with it is that assuming that it's the best way or the only way. And what the internet has allowed us to do is absolutely insane when it comes to connecting people and discipling people. And what I mean by that is not just broadcasting your message online so people can watch it. That's a whole nother thing that I won't get into because Dan will be here all, all night. <laughs> right, I'll right. just talk your ear off. Yeah. But I think that the way that we're doing church right now online is kind of like, you know, you and I have the ability right now to talk to one another over Skype, do a podcast, broadcast it to thousands of people, and. We're both in different countries right now. Exactly. That's pretty insane. We have this ability to connect one-on-one with people. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, You know, Periscope. We can now live broadcast one, one to another. And instead, what we're doing is we're kind of using the online world by you know, taking a picture of a letter we wrote and then like texting it to one another. <laughs> That's kind of the equivalent of what we're doing. Like You and I, we could talk to one another face-to-face. Oh, but instead... I'm just going to text a picture that I took of a letter that I wrote to you. Like, we're not using the online world in the way that we should. At least that would be my opinion. Mm. And so what I don't want us to do is to bring this assumption that like, well, you know, emerging tech like websites and, you know, social media, that's cool, but it's not real church. That's a weird assumption to me as a 24-year-old because there is no distinction for me between the online world and the real world. They're intertwined, and that's just the way that I've grown up. And I'm 24. I don't even know what my cousins who are like 10, 15. They've had, like, Snapchat their whole lives, it feels like. <laughs> right, I mean, right. it, got, it got introduced to me in my teenage years. You know, Facebook, I joined when I was 14. I don't even know what it's going to be like for the next generation. And because, like I said earlier, we're the largest generations in the world, there is these cosmic shifts in communication that are happening. And if we just assume that it's like, ooh, a cool new website or the the cool new social media, yeah, maybe, like, Squarespace and Instagram, those are just specific platforms to do these, but the internet and online communication, digital communication is changing everything. And so, yes, it's, it's, it's about aesthetics. It's about storytelling. And it's about, more than anything, shifting you as a pastor, you as a preacher, shifting the way that you communicate. If you are preaching, I will tell you this as a 24-year-old male who has a mortgage, a kid, a wife, and runs his own business. I would much rather and will much easier, that's not a word, but let's go with it, <laughs> receive your message through a post on Instagram or a series of stories on Snapchat than by a 30-minute message on Sunday. So if you want to talk about forgiveness this Sunday, I highly encourage you to not just rebroadcast it online, but share that same story and that same message through an Instagram post. Go on Facebook Live and share like a five-minute quick devotion. Go on Snapchat and share a story sharing this same message because me as a millennial, I'm going to be able to receive that so much better than 30 minutes of you talking. Unless you're one of the best communicators in the world, my brain will not get through five minutes of your message. And that's really sad, but it's the truth. It's the way things are. And technology continues to change the culture and and we continue to change technology and we're shaping one another simultaneously. And it's not a bad thing, it it is what it is. And so we have to constantly shift um, the way that we're doing things. Of course, with all that being said, I don't want to scare you and be like, you need to be on the latest social platform. (laughs) If you're not on Snapchat, I mean, your church will probably close its doors by March. Like, you know, that's not what's going to happen. But there is this giant single cosmic shift from preaching 30 minutes once a week from stage and the entire online world. And if I can push you just one step into more of the middle of this, rather than standing on your pulpit in one corner and being like, yeah, that online world... You know, that, that, that's fun for, for my kids and it's fun for tweeting about, you know, sports when I'm angry, but uh, <laughs> other, than, other than that, it, it's not much. No, it's like, it's, it's a huge world that can be used for pastoring and discipling, which again, that was the core of the question. Church vitality should be measured by whether or not we're making disciples. I would contend for everyone 30, well, let's, let, let's make it easier for you, everyone 25 and under, preaching three minutes, one hour a week on Sundays is not the best way that you can be making disciples for my age group.
0: Thank you so much for joining me for episode 18 of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about, at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on July 7th, and so in three weeks, you'll get to hear my interview with Jonathan Howe, the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Lifeway. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.